Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37 tonight. We want to start uh, looking at the life of Joseph and um, uh, actually Joseph, the life of Joseph is the last uh, topic that we will take in this uh, series, Stories in Genesis. I think I can get it done in two weeks tonight and next, uh, next Wednesday night, but we'll see as we go. Um, we, last time we talked about Jacob and the, the struggle that he had between trying to help God out and trying to do things. He, he wanted the right thing. He always wanted, uh, his heart was in the right place, so to speak, because he wanted the spiritual blessings of Abraham to be his. He wanted to, to fulfill what, um, what God had promised in, th- through the covenant with Abraham, but he tried to help God out. He's like a lot of us. We uh, have a tendency to, to try to get spiritual results by doing natural things rather than letting God work things out. And, and as a result, it cost him a lot of years of his life. And the whole of the life of Jacob, who became known as Israel, God changed his name. But the whole thing was a struggle between his flesh and and uh, and his spirit, which is everybody's struggle. But specifically... Sitting back and letting God fulfill his word rather than trying to take it in, uh, in his own hands and trying to bring things about. He, uh, he left the promised land and spent 20 years serving his wicked uncle Laban and then returned back to the land of promise. And, um, uh, and we, we took it up to the place where he returned. And now we want to fast forward a little bit and get to Joseph. It's, um, it's an interesting thing. There are seven prominent people in Genesis. Adam, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph. And the Bible spends more time and gives us more detail about Joseph than any of the others. Joseph is, um, is a very important character in that um, everything about the Old Testament was leading up to the law of Moses but without the story of the Exodus and the deliverance from Egypt, the law of Moses wouldn't make sense. Without Joseph being the link between Abraham, the man of covenant promise, and the deliverance from Egypt, then the story wouldn't make sense at all. Joseph is the reason, single-handedly, if you'll allow me to say it that way, he's the reason that Israel ceased to be just a small band of shepherds wandering around in the wilderness to be a a people that was too great to number. So we want to look at the story of Joseph starting in uh, chapter 37. uh, there's, There's a lot of things about Joseph. Joseph's hard to relate to because this guy never messes up. I mean, if there's just one thing that he did wrong, then we could relate to it. But this guy makes the right move on every hand. Now, there's a reason for that. Remember, the Bible says that everything in the Old Testament is uh, is as types and shadows for us. In other words, everything has a, everything in the Old Testament has a New Testament connotation or meaning. That's nowhere is that more true than with Joseph in his life. Joseph is a type of Jesus in over a hundred ways. Now, some of those ways are stronger and more prominent than others. But over a hundred times, 
Joseph is specifically a type that Jesus fulfilled in some way or another. Well, for that reason, uh, the story of Joseph is really important. How many of you know the story of Joseph? How he was sold into slavery by his brothers and then made, wound up being the prime minister of Egypt. Does anybody not know the story? Don't be embarrassed. It's really good information if we need to, you know, to let you to find out. Everybody knows the story. That's significant too. Because the, the one person throughout the Bible that is the greatest type of Jesus, everybody knows his story. No, no, not everybody knows Adam's story. Not everybody knows Abraham's story. There are other people who are types of Jesus in a lesser way that we, we may know a little bit of the story, but not the whole thing like we do with Joseph. But everybody knows Joseph's story. Everybody does. Well, let's start in chapter 37. We don't know anything about Joseph's young life. He comes on the scene at 17 years of age. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now remember uh, uh, Jacob, who becomes Israel, had worked seven years for Leah. Actually, he worked seven years for Rachel. And his uncle deceived him and gave him Leah. And then he stayed on for another seven years to get Rachel. Then the Bible says that he stayed with Laban for over 20 years. So there was another six years involved uh, during his service. And during that time, Leah's concubine or Leah's maid becomes Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. And then Rachel's maid becomes his concubine, Zilpah. I may have those reversed, who was who. Concubines are concubines as far as I'm concerned. I don't care who belongs to who. But the point is simply this. Abraham had four women that he had sons by. And during this time when he's in, uh, uh, in Syria serving Laban, these 20 years that he's serving Laban, or over 20 years, we don't know exactly how long, but it's over 20. During that time, everything is a competition. Their whole life is a contest between Jacob and Laban, between Leah and Rachel, between Zilpah and Bilhah or whoever, concubine one and concubine two. The Bible calls them wives, but they, the, in the sense that, that they produced children for Jacob, that's true, but they weren't on the same par and they weren't on equal footing with Leah and Rachel. Jacob left Syria. Uh, at the time that he left Syria, Joseph couldn't have been more than five or six years old. Now, his older brothers were as much as 15 years older than he was. So by the time uh, Joseph gets to be 17 years old, his oldest brother is somewhere around 32 years of age. And the others are right on his heels. There, will, there wasn't any time spent between these four women having children, Rachel being the last one to have children. Joseph and Benjamin were the last two that were born. But the thing that's significant about that is that Joseph didn't grow up in Syria. He didn't grow up when Jacob was in competition with Laban. 
and the conflict and all that stuff was going on. Now, I'm sure there was still conflict between the the brothers and the, the sons and all that kind of stuff. Maybe even still between the wives. But there was a lot of the old Jacob that Joseph didn't get that his older brothers would have. And that's going to be significant because the, the only father that Joseph really knows is the, is the new Jacob or Israel, the one that has finally learned to let go and let God be God in his life. And it has an impact on him. It has an impact on the, the two youngest children, Joseph and Benjamin. So here where it says Joseph being 17 was feeding the flock with his brethren and the lad was with the sons of Bilhan, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Notice this. It says, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Notice Joseph stands out from the age of 17. Joseph stands out. Number one, he hates sin. That's certainly a type of Jesus. He hates sin. And secondly, he won't get involved with the other stuff his brothers are doing. Now, here's something else that's interesting about Joseph to me. And that is. There is probably no greater negative influence than an older brother or brothers with bad character. Because you know how siblings influence each other. If you've got somebody with with poor character, that's usually a, a, a free ride, a guaranteed result that the younger brother will take on whatever they do. That's not the case with Joseph. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us Joseph has more of the new Jacob than he does his brothers and his siblings. So now let's start in verse 3. I'm going to read down through uh, verse 11. And then we'll back up and talk about some of the types and the comparisons with, uh, with Jesus. Now, Israel loved Joseph because he more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance. That means bowed down to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Now here's 32 and 30-year-old brothers hearing from a 17-year-old kid about how he's going to be on top of everybody in the group. Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams... And for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. Joseph has two names. The name Joseph means adder. Now Adam was a subtractor. Because Adam's disobedience. Put enmity between him and God. And separated himself and all of mankind. From God's original plan and purpose. 
But Joseph means to add to. Certainly that's a type of Jesus. But he's also given a second name by Pharaoh when he's exalted to be prime minister of Egypt sometime many years down the road. And the name that Pharaoh gives him is Revealer of Secrets. Revealer of Secrets. Now let's look at this uh, kind of piece by piece and see some of the types of Jesus that are fulfilled. First of all, it says that um, Israel loved Joseph. In verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. One of the things that we know about the story of Joseph is that his father loved him most. That's a type of Jesus. Remember the voice that came from heaven on several occasions saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It says that Joseph was the son of his old age. Again, that speaks to the fact that he only knew the new Joseph or new Jacob or new Israel and not the old one. But for God, it's not the son of his old age, it's the son of all ages. And so he made him a coat of many colors. Now, one of the things, First uh, Samuel chapter 13, I believe it is, talks about how that um, uh, these coats of many colors were given to princes and princesses, children of the king. Now, it's debatable, maybe even questionable in some circles, how Jacob came up with a coat of many colors to begin with. He would have to have access to things that common people would not have access to, to even have it made. The point is, he went to great, great lengths and a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of expense. As you could well imagine, where would a, a, a nomad find somebody to make this thing to begin with? But it was apparently it was of the equal quality that the prince of the land would have. And it was... A reminder, a constant reminder of how much Israel loved Joseph above all of his brethren. Now, for us, it's important, I think, to keep in mind that the type is Jesus. Joseph is the type of Jesus. And the brethren, the brothers of Joseph, is the type of Israel. Not Israel, the person Jacob's name changed to Israel, but the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. It wasn't that Jacob didn't love the other brothers, but he sure had a special place in his heart for Joseph. Same thing was true for Jesus. Now, as Joseph dreams the dreams and shares them, notice it talks about several things. First of all, it says that... um, when his brethren saw, verse 4, his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him. How many times do we find in the, in the Gospels where Jesus called God his father and the Jews took up stones to kill him? Just from saying God was his father. In the same way that, his brother, that Joseph's brothers hated him because of his relationship with his father, that's exactly the, the type that was fulfilled by Jesus in his earthly ministry. Much less his words. When Jesus begins to tell them things, not only about the future, but deliver the words of of God, they hated him even more, even as they did with Joseph. 
And notice it says, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all the rest of them, they hated him and could not. Please notice that. And could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph is in a tough situation with his family. All because he's loved most. It doesn't even get into the, the, I mean, they're going to hate him for what he does in a few seconds here and a few verses down. But if he had never done anything, if he had never shared one of his dreams, they still hated him because his father loved him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. This guy couldn't have done anything right for them. Folks, this is a type of that was fulfilled in Jesus where the Jews hated him when all he wanted to do was bring them blessing. They hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear ye, I pray, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. This dream has to do with the field, meaning Jesus' authority in the earth. The second dream has to do with the sun and the moon and the stars, which has to do with Jesus' heavenly authority. Joseph's dreams are a type of both. His brethren didn't like the first one. Verse 8, shall thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Well, yeah, Jesus is going to have dominion on the earth. He exercised that dominion before the Jews to show them the relationship that he had with his father and the benefits that that brought about. But the time is coming where he's going to have dominion on the earth again. And they hated him yet the more. Here's the third time that it talks about him hating him more. But these guys started off hating him because of his father's relationship with him. His father's love. But they hate him more and more. Two more times. They hated him yet the more. Verse 8 says they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Second dream was about the sun and the moon and the stars. And his father rebukes him. I'm not sure exactly what his father rebuked him for. He apparently didn't like the idea of Joseph being exalted above the parents. And under normal circumstances, that would be out of line, out of normal order. But notice it says that his brothers envied him, verse 11, but his father observed the same. You know what that means? That means his father knew it was true. Now, one of the things that um, they got the Jews just beside themselves, and the Jews meaning the Pharisees in, in Jesus' day, one of the things that got them just beside themselves, they went into a rage over, is when Jesus would tell them things about the future. When Jesus said, it's Matthew 26, verse, uh, I think it's 34. But when Jesus said that the time was coming, when they would see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory with great power, they went nuts. They went absolute nuts. They tore their clothes, screamed out that he blasphemed, all because he's telling them the truth. There's something about a revealer of secrets that's significant. 
And it, the, when, when the future is foretold, it reveals who the people are that are hearing. Not just the future, but reveals something about their hearts. Every time Joseph revealed the dreams that God gave him, the response was they hated him more and more. Same exact response for the Pharisees against Jesus. When Jesus talked about tear down this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it, he was talking about himself and the resurrection. But that was another time where they hollered out blasphemy. But when Jesus revealed the secrets of the woman's heart at the, at the well of Samaria in John chapter 4, she didn't scream blasphemy. She perceived that he was a prophet. She received him willingly. There's something about this, and this has to do with, with the Holy Ghost manifesting himself today too. People that have the right heart are open to the manifestations of the Spirit. But when the Holy Ghost manifests himself, especially in the word of wisdom, which has to do with revealing the future, future events, people with the wrong heart go crazy. It was true in Joseph's day, it's true in Jesus' day, it's true in our day too. Well, let's pick up with this. Verse 12. Um, I'll read down to verse 17. And his brethren went to feed the father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Notice it says that he was sent on a mission. Israel says, I'll send you to my brother, to your brethren, my sons, in Shechem. And Joseph willingly accepts the mission. Now, what is his mission? His mission is not to go find them and, and discover some evil that they're involved in. His mission is to go see how it is with them, see if it is well with them. In other words, to, to inquire as to their well-being. Folks, Jesus didn't come to the earth. He didn't come to Israel to judge them. Yet the Pharisees perceived everything Jesus did to be judging them. And, of course, that was because their heart wasn't right. So it says that he sent him out of the veil of Hebron and came to Shechem. The word Hebron, the name Hebron means fellowship. Jesus left fellowship with his father to come to the earth. Now the word Shechem means shoulder, but it carries with it the, the, uh, the idea of bearing a burden. So even the names of the places that the Bible gives us are instructive. Joseph, who's the type of Jesus, leaves fellowship with his father to take upon himself a burden. The type is fulfilled when Jesus left fellowship with his father in heaven to bear the burden of mankind. So it says he becomes a wanderer. 
A certain man found him, verse 15, and behold, he was wandering in the field. Jesus was wandering in the earth, seeking to save mankind. And someone asked him, what are you looking for? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. He's not going to give up on his mission. And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Now, that would have been a perfect place for Joseph to give up. Say, well, Dad, I went to Shechem like you told me to, but those guys, they're so undependable, you can't count on them being where they're supposed to be. So I came back to report to you that they're not where they were supposed to be, and now I've heard they're in Dothan, but I don't know for sure. But he stayed with his mission, just like Jesus did. I wonder if there were times where Jesus was frustrated with the people that he came to seek and seek and save. But we see that he was frustrated with his disciples on many occasions, upbraided them for their unbelief. I wonder what it would have been like concerning his attitude toward the Pharisees. We know he was upset with them on many occasions, but Jesus stayed with it, just like Joseph did. So Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. You know what the name Dothan means? It means law or custom. Where did Jesus find Israel, the nation of Israel, bound up in laws and customs? In many cases, it was their customs they were commanding people to do rather than the law of Moses itself, bringing them under bondage to customs rather than what God had said. Verse 18, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And if that's not a picture of the Jews, the Pharisees, and Jesus, I don't know what is. They made their determination. Now, folks, here's the important thing to, to get from this, and that is they decided what they were going to do before he ever got there. They made up their minds what they were going to do before Joseph ever arrived. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast has devoured him and we shall see what shall become of his dreams. Now, as I said, Joseph had the, the privilege of being the son of Jacob's old age and only knowing the new Jacob. You understand what I mean when I use those terms, don't you? The Jacob who's already learned his lessons the hard way prevailed with the angel during the nighttime visit which wasn't about prevailing in prayer as we talked about last time, but was about prevailing by surrendering his will to God's. And so I'm sure he missed it, as we all have. But at least the purpose of his life has changed. The direction has been altered, and the course of his life has been reset. That's the Jacob that Joseph and Benjamin new as their father not the old one that's striving to get ahead and trying to make something out of themselves while he's being swindled for 20 years by his uncle for that reason it's significant that that Joseph well I lost my train of thought first time that's ever happened somebody write that down 
Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And say some evil beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Find my train of thought. Somebody write that down. His brothers saw a different guy as father. And they have lived under the, the most uh, contentious of circumstances. The preceding chapters that we skipped over between Jacob and, and uh, Joseph talks about how several of them slayed the Hittite or the, the Hivites, not the Hittites, but the Hivites, deceived them into being circumcised so one of the princes could marry their sister. And while they were still sore from the circumcision, they go in and kill all the male occupants of the city these are rough guys so to them it's nothing to kill somebody that they hate the fact that he's their brother he's not really their blood brother he's their half brother talking about joseph and so there's certainly no love lost there to keep them from doing the wrong thing so they decide that they're going to do the very same thing that jacob does only in reverse Young Jacob tried to help God out through his actions of the flesh. These guys, Joseph's brothers, are going to try to alter what Joseph has revealed to them about the future. They said, let's slay him and throw him in a pit and we'll see what will become of his dreams. Now, um, let, me, um, let me make a comment here. That, and I, I want to be careful because I don't want to take anything away from anybody. But most of the time we hear the story of Joseph talked about, we talk about how that God will give us dreams too. And God will exalt us just like he exalted Joseph. And God wants to make great people of us just like he made a great person of Joseph and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I've got news for you. God's not out to make you a great person. Now, God may give you an opportunity to do things that are beyond your abilities but not so that you'll be great in the eyes of other people and so often this dreams of joseph stuff is talked about from the standpoint of well i've got a dream too and that dream is going to make me great god's not out to make you great he's out to exalt his son the reason joseph had the dreams that he had and had the experiences that he had was to be a type of jesus And if we forget the fact that Joseph was a type of Jesus in so many ways, then we can get caught up into this idea that God wants the same thing for us as he wanted for Joseph. Well, God was just setting up an example for people to be able to see his son. I'm uh, going to tell you a story. I'll never tell it to you again. So if you want to remember it, write it down. The reason for it is I'm so embarrassed about this, but it'll, I think it'll help somebody. First sermon I preached after I left Brother Hagen, working with Brother Hagen. First meeting that I had. You know what I preached on? Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. To heal the brokenhearted and to preach liberty to captives, recovering of sight to the blind and so forth. You know how I preached it? I preached it that the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. You know what happened as a result of that meeting? Not a single thing. Because the message of Luke 4 is not that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me or you. 
but that Jesus is the anointed one. I altered that sermon and preached that Jesus is the anointed one, not me. And got some miraculous results. But it took me some years to figure that out. I started off and boy, coming out of working with Brother Hagin, finishing Bible school, all that kind of stuff. I was going to win the world single-handedly, you know. Going to do it by showing the power of God. Doesn't work that way, folks. Now, I was doing the same thing that a lot of people did. I was doing with Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The same thing that a lot of people do with Joseph's dreams. They think it's about their dreams. Well, if it is about your dreams, learn Jacob's lesson and let God bring it to pass. But you got a lot of people trying to do the same thing that Joseph did. Only they're not types of Jesus. They're going around telling everybody their dream. And they're not going to give up on their dream no matter what. Some people need to give up on their dreams. To find out what God's plan and purpose is. T.L. Osborne told me something when I was working with Brother Hagin. That, uh, that I'll never forget. And it hurt my feelings at the time. Because I was so spiritually immature I didn't understand it. But he said this, he said, Mike, don't ever let your dreams, or um, he didn't use the word dream, don't let your vision outgrow God's plan for your life and your ministry. Well, I thought he was telling me not not much was going to happen, so just be satisfied with that. So that really kind of hurt my feelings. But I've come to realize exactly what he's saying. Because I see so many people that are governed, their lives are governed by their vision. Much more so than what God's plan is. And if Jesus appeared to him and said, you know, your vision is about twice what I'm planning. They'd rebuke the vision. Well, thank you for your enthusiastic response. Verse 20 again. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we'll say some evil beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands. And said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness. And lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him unto their father again. It came to pass when Joseph was come to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. His coat of many colors that was upon him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Now this has to do with uh, symbolism. Or types of the the, uh, the crucifixion events and the death of Jesus. Notice it says the pit was there was no water in it. Now I'm going to have to get ahead of myself a little bit. I'm running out of time, so I don't know if I'm going to finish this or not. So let me let me make a couple of points that uh, I think will clarify and help make some of this make better sense. If you look ahead a little bit, the 37th chapter ends in. Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery in Egypt. And they tell Israel and he won't be comforted. But chapter 38 is not the continuation of the story of Joseph in Egypt. Chapter 38 is the, is the events of things that happened with Judah. And here's why. Chapter 39 picks up the story of Joseph in Egypt. Here's why it's like that. Because... 
the brothers of Joseph selling him into slavery is the type of Israel, the nation of Israel, selling Jesus or turning him over to the Gentiles for crucifixion. And at that time, once that happens, the nation of Israel had no more dealings with God as a people ever again. That was the end of their history in a sense. Now, from that time forward, we know of the nation of Israel or the people of Israel. Let me say it a people, say it, call them a people rather than a nation because I'm not talking about the geographic boundaries. I'm not talking about the nation of Israel that started up again in 1947. I'm talking about the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. From the time that they rejected Jesus and turned him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, from that time they had no more dealings with God as a nation, a people. And in fact, the only history that there is of the people of Israel now is literally the tribe of Judah. The people of Israel are are called by the nickname of the tribe of Judah, the descendants of Judah. And everything has to go, everything goes back to Judah as the representation of Israel, the people, the descendants of Abraham. So here it says that they cast him into the pit where there was no water. That's a type of the penalty that Jesus had to pay in the lowest part of the earth. Notice it says where there was no water. Literally the fires of hell. That's what this is a type of. Now he's drawn out of the pit and then sold into the, under the Ishmaelites. Um, verse 25, they sat down to eat bread And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of the Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh and going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said, keep this in mind, and Judah said, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Notice what his interest is. Let's make money off this. That's going to be significant in just a moment. He said, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. He doesn't seem to care anything about killing him earlier on. But now that he's found a way to make money out of it, developed a scheme to make money on this deal, then he says, you know, we really shouldn't kill him. We were willing to kill him just a few moments before. But now he's found a way to make money. Then they passed by the Midianites. Then they're passed by Midianites merchantmen and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph into Egypt and Reuben returned into the pit and behold Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes and he returned to his brethren and said the child is not and I whither shall I go and apparently they bring him up to speed no here's what happened verse 31 and they killed Joseph's coat <laughs> they killed Joseph's coat and they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. Now this is a type. Uh, well, let me finish verse 32. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to the father, their father, and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. This is a type of the blood of Jesus that was presented unto the father as the sacrifice. 
fulfilled in Joseph's coat being presented to Israel or Jacob. Verse 33, and he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, for I will go down to the grave. I will go into the grave under my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and the captains of the guard. Now I want to read the first few verses of chapter 38, which talks about the, uh, the events of Judah. And it's, it's, it's strange that the Bible would interrupt the story of Joseph being such a prominent person in the story of Genesis or in the book of Genesis and really throughout the old, whole Old Testament and talk about Judah. What difference does Judah make? But this is the way the Holy Ghost arranged it. And remember, these words were dictated directly from God to Moses to leave us a record. So it says in chapter 38, verse 1, And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain uh, Samite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shula, and he took her and went in unto her. Now, Here's the significance of this. Here's why the Holy Ghost put this in here. As I said, from the time that Israel, the people of Israel, the descendants of of Abraham, specifically the Pharisees, engineered the plan to crucify Jesus and to turn him over to the Romans. They didn't want to do their own dirty work. They didn't want to be defiled. So they turned him over to the Romans to kill him, Jesus, for them, the Pharisees. From that point in time, God's had no dealings with the people of Israel as a nation. The nation of Israel has has had no dealings with God as a people. But there is a history of the descendants of Abraham. But if you look at the history, the recorded history, the remaining history, there are a lot of lost tribes. There are a lot of the 12 tribes of Israel that we don't know anything about. But we've always known something about Judah. Judah is the one that's represented the whole of the 12 nations, the 12 tribes of Israel down through the ages. And notice what it tells us about Judah representing the descendants of Abraham. What Judah does after he engineers the selling of Joseph to the, to the Ishmaelites. Judah saw that the a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shula. The, the name Canaanite literally means merchant men or business. And the daughter that he saw, whose name was Shula, the name Shula means riches. It's telling us specifically, here's what Judah traded for. Here's what the Jews, the people, the descendants of Abraham, the natural descendants of Abraham, here's what they traded for when they sold Jesus under the Romans. If you look around the world, throughout history, you'll find that there was a certain point where Israel stopped being concerned about the blessings of God and started pursuing business and money. And that's what they're known for today, isn't it? Whether right or wrong, and I'm not making a criticism, but the Bible told us even before we knew it tells us 
Here's what they traded their pursuits for. Business and riches. They, up until that point in time, they were shepherds. Judah was a shepherd. They were people of the field looking for the blessing of God in, in crops and farming and things like that. But here the Bible uses as a type of what Judah did to bring about the new pursuits of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. So it says, she conceived and bare a son and he called his name Ur. She conceived a son again and he called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. Now these three names are interesting because the name Ur means enmity or hatred. The name Oman means iniquity or wickedness. And the name Shelah means sprout. Now sprout, here's the meaning of sprout. Contrast that with Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Blessed is the man that, what is it, walketh not in the way of sinners, stands not in the way of sinners. Well, let me read it. I could quote it if you weren't looking at me. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree, not a sprout, not a sprig, but like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Folks, I want you to understand what the Holy Ghost is doing here. And this is not me saying it. I'm just reading what the Bible says and telling you that everything in the Old Testament is given to us as types and shadows just like the Bible says. So this has to have a significance. It has to have meaning. What is the meaning? The Holy Ghost is telling us if Israel had stayed on track with the blessing of Abraham rather than their own pursuits and turning away from God and his commandments, the people of Israel... The descendants of Abraham. That's what I mean when I use the word nation. I'm not talking about the small territory that that the nation of Israel occupies right now. The people of Israel now, today, would be nothing in comparison to what God's plan for them was. They're a sprout in God's eyes when he destined for them to be a tree. Do you see the point? It tells us further about uh, Judah. The first two sons died. The third son he was afraid to give to the Tamar, the wife, which was the custom of the day. The brother took over for the deceased brother. He was afraid that Shelah would die too. Maybe he's thinking she's bad luck. And so he makes a deal with her to stay unmarried until a certain point in time down the road. That time comes and goes and Judah doesn't act honorably and so she disguises herself as a harlot and he goes in unto her not knowing who she is and she conceives. He finds out that he's the one that got her pregnant and admits that he did wrong and that she's more honorable than him and so forth. But I want you to see and we'll close with this. I want you to see in verse 27, chapter 38, verse 27. 
And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. Now, again, remember, this is the, the, the type of the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. The story of Joseph picks up in chapter 39. We'll get back to that next time. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound his hand upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out and she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach shall be upon thee. Therefore the name was called Pharez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand and his name was called Zerah. Now everything about Joseph, as I said, is a type of Jesus. Or so many things are at least. And the story of Judah foretells the future of the people of Israel because there are two, two children that are born of Judah and this improper relationship with his daughter-in-law. The first one is Pharaoh's, which is called breach. That represents the natural descendants of Israel that reject Jesus and go, into, go after the things of the world. But there is a remnant of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, that will seek after the things of God. There is a remnant who will turn again and receive Jesus. And that's what the Bible talks about in the tribulation period. Up until the tribulation period, the majority, I think we can safely say, the majority of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, have gone the way of the world pursuing business and riches just as chapter 38 tells us about Judah did how Judah did but there will be a remnant that will go after the things of God the Bible talks about the great multitude that appear before the throne of God at the midpoint of tribulation it's mostly a Jewish company it talks about uh, that people will flock to, to the Jews because of their the blessings that they receive from God during the tribulation period and what a difference it makes between them and the world. Thank God we're not here for that. And we couldn't be here for that because there's no way that God would favor Israel, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Israel, over those that have rejected, over those that have received and accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. There's no way Israel could look greater than the church except the church be gone. But there is a remnant. But it's just a remnant. It's, uh, well, I don't want to focus on this because I don't want to bring anybody down. But it's so sad to realize what God's plan was and could have been for the descendants of Abraham as opposed to what they are now. They got a lot of things going for them. They've been successful in pursuing riches and even you'd have to say even the blessing of God is upon much of what they do. But it's nothing in comparison because they didn't learn the lesson of Jacob. They didn't learn to follow that which is most important and let God work out his own plan and purpose. This is one of the things that we heard a lot from Brother Hagin. And there's nobody to tell you that kind of stuff anymore. 
Brother Hagin being an older minister, he always talked about plans and purposes. One of his favorite scriptures was in the Psalms, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He was always talking about letting God do his work, letting God build the house. Knowing full well that there were people in ministry all around him that were trying to build their own house in their own name, in their own little kingdom. Some of them successfully. It didn't say, except the Lord build the house, they didn't get it built. It said they labored in vain. He always talked about plans and purposes. He talked a lot about being staying steady and waiting on God, not moving out too quick. There's nobody here to tell us about those things anymore. I don't really feel like I'm old enough to be able to say some of the things he said. But I'm getting older. It's such a tendency of youth to try to run out and do, it your own th- do your own thing your own way. And, and there's a lot of people that ran out and did their own thing and did it their own way. And it seems to work. They seem to have the popularity. They seem to have the name. And except you put your heart into things of God and his plan and his purpose. It would be hard to talk somebody out of why they shouldn't do what somebody else did with success. But except the Lord builds the house, I labor in vain that build it. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the picture that you give us of the work of Jesus and the future to come. Father, judge our hearts. Judge our hearts, Father that we might be willing to receive the information of that which is to come rather than reject it as the Pharisees did and as Joseph's brethren did. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality. Guide us into all truth. If we're in error about something, you reveal it to us. We'll turn around. We'll make it right. Our desire, Father, is to know the truth and only the truth. To walk in the truth and only the truth. To see the reality of things as you see them. Not how we might want them from the flesh. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us and guiding us into the truth. Show us the truth of God's plan for our individual lives. That's what Paul prayed. That our eyes would be understood, the eyes of our understanding would be opened. That we would know what is the hope of his calling. Not our dreams, not our visions, but the hope of his calling. Open our eyes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great week.